Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With us today is Carlo from Carlo's newsletter, a great newsletter that goes in-depth into NFTs. Welcome to the show, Carlo. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Carlo, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? My background is in in tech, in software development and data science. And I guess my first interaction was with Ethereum, with all these protocols, you know, and all these dApps that you can build on top of that uh, blockchain. So I would say reading about it and trying to understand how everything worked. And then I started to build, you know, some basic dApps. And at some point that led me to the NFTs uh, space back in early last year, I will say around May. So I will say, yeah, I was driven by the technology part, and and that led me to the more to the art or artistic space. I will say your newsletter pieces that that I read about, which you write extensively about, um, which is kind of generative art, and, and your writings indicate that you you kind of have a thesis on you know what makes generative art something that will kind of stand the test of time. You, you, you seem to be very, very bullish on, on, on generative art. Can you, can you share with us, I guess, what is your sort of thesis on, on generative art? Yeah, well, I, I think, again, because of my, my tech uh, background and, and software development, let's call it the uh, yeah, education that I had, I, I, I sort of was attracted to it because I could understand what was happening and, and, and sort of the, let's say, how hard it could be to create some some of these pieces, right? And yeah, I do believe that generative art cools, you know, it's like a new a new form of art which has been around for uh, many years now. It, it sounds like it's something new, but actually there has been many many you know academics and many artists doing this for 20, 30 years. But of course, with NFTs, it provided kind of the perfect medium, right, for the for the distribution of it. And I believe with the generative art, you can do uh, different things that uh, were not possible before. And if you look at the whole history of art, right, we're talking about hundreds of years, and this is something new that was not possible maybe since computers were around, right? So that's why I believe it's kind of a new a new trend, a new tendency that will be very big in the future. When we, when we think about 50, 100 years from now, it will be, around and, and probably it marks you know a, a new step or a new let's call it yeah a new step in in the in the art world what is it that you about generative art that you think is i guess um new like when you're talking about new are you specifically talking about generative art that's occurring on the blockchain or are you talking about sort of the generative art as a as a category that also occurred you know outside of the the, the blockchain yeah that's a good question so yeah i think there are two I think both both will be relevant. I think the in my in my opinion the the blockchain and the NFTs are just a new another medium, right? It's a new another medium of distribution. 
Um, so I'm talking gener in, in generative art in general, right? So when you actually create pieces uh, using code, that, that's more where I'm headed to. So the, the, the usage of code and, and different frameworks and different techniques that it's possible now to create art using that. Do you think that art blocks is kind of, it has built a brand for itself, but do you think art blocks is kind of the, at the forefront of, of generative art or, or, or do you have kind of other thoughts um, on that mm -hmm. as of right now? I think when we think about the generative art NFTs landscape, yeah, I would say art blocks is kind of the first platform and brand that comes to mind, right? So I would say yes, but I think there are new platforms surging basically every every month right now. And I will also mention FX Hash, which has been around for three to four months, I believe. And actually that's uh, thanks to this platform is that I got engaged in a bigger way uh, in the in the generative art, let's call it movement. I saw art blocks and I mean, I, I was around when when I think it's called the the generative arts uh, summer, right? That it was yeah. like the, the volume was very high during that time, but I was not really uh, collecting. I was, unfortunately, I kind of missed that that big wave, but I was attracted to, to the concept and how everything worked. But I will say I got more into this, let's say, wave thanks to FX Hash, which what, is fantastic. Was that just a, a pricing thing, or or was it was it something else about FX Hash that was that was I guess more attractive for you? I think it's a combination. I sort of started collecting on Ethereum, and I I started to write about you know different blockchains and different artists and different styles. But I think I got attracted to FX Hash because I would say my audience and and the community that I was building and and. And sort of, it was in this blockchain, in the in the Tesla's blockchain, that I I felt I would say more more at home, right? So I would say like 60, 80 percent of of my content and and the, the stuff I was collecting in general was already on Tesla's, right? So when this platform came out, I was very in the very early days, right? And that's that's I would say why I kind of stayed there and, and since I had seen it from the beginning, right? Also the price, you mentioned a good point, the price, that's probably also a, a big factor. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I collect, but I'm, you know, I'm also on a, on a tight budget, let's call it that way. So FX Hash was a good way for me to collect, you know, pieces from very talented artists lower than $500, for example, right? So I think those two factors are, are the main reasons why, why I, I kind of like FX Hash and I stayed around this community. What do you see as, I guess, the differences between the, between the various platforms? Well, I think that art blocks have, they have these three, let's call it groups or layers, right? The art blocks curated, art blocks factory, and then the playground, which is a way for them to yeah, curate the, the, the artists, right? And, and, and sort of have, you know, different levels. And I think that's that was a great, a great way to, you know, filter and, and try to attract you know, artists that were very talented. And I also, I also think that that helped their brand, right? So they, they, they curated drops happen. I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's uh, once a month or a couple per month. And it's hard to, to get 
access to that. So you need to have a solid background. You need to have a solid history in the space. So that's an art blocks, while the FX hash platform is completely open. So anybody can use, you know, create, create something and drop it there anytime they want. So there are pros and cons of both, you know, both ways of, of how these platforms operate. And I think it's, it's great because you have both options, right? If you are a new artist, a new newcomer artist, you can start in FX hash and maybe build your, let's say your career and, and maybe aim to, to go at some point to art blocks. But I also believe that FX hash is, is growing and, and at some point that might not be needed, right? So they also thought about, you know, maybe doing some curation in their own platform. And I think that that's also a possibility, but yeah, I, I, I see that it's kind of the more curated platform, the more, let's call it premium platform one hand. And on the other hand, you have, you have the, the sort of open and open platform for everybody to, to start their journey. Absent any sort of other factor, people always use price as a way to judge works, right? So basically artist mm -hmm. A has a higher price, therefore their work is better than artist B. Because for collectors, this is kind of the eternal question, right? How do you judge whether something is better or not? That's a tough question. So I wouldn't say just because it's in art blocks, it's better, right? I think in, there are a few things. So one is the, in the NFTs, especially, I mean, this happens in general in all aspects. Uh, so it's a matter of exposure, right? And how many eyes are actually looking at your work? And, and well, Ethereum is, is the top blockchain right now, right? So they have much more volume, much more users. And because of that, you get more exposure when you when you release an Ethereum uh, generative artworks or any other sort of NFT. So just because of that, because there is a higher exposure, that's a, a big factor there. Uh, there is another factor, and this is more uh, related to the you know the different blockchains and and you know what people think that can happen in the future if there will be only one blockchain that reigns supreme like Ethereum, or if they actually will be multiple blockchains like we have right now. And some I, I read an article in Medium the other day that they they compare blockchains to cities. And Ethereum is, you know, like the premium series, like it's like I, I think they said it's like living in New York, right? So, and then Tesos or maybe Solana or Cardano are the the secondary uh, blockchain. So, right now there is um, this thing of volume, and there is also the possibility that one blockchain reigns at the end, right? And that's why I believe that it's not only about the how good is the quality of the artwork? That's an, an important part, but the blockchain plays a big role, at least right now. So many collectors that are, let's say, thinking about the you know, economic incentives in the future, if many people collect to actually get a profit, maybe in the short term, sometimes in the long term. So that's why they pay a lot of attention to the, the Ethereum blockchain, right? So if you, you kind of have a, a guarantee that you know, this is this piece is valuable because it was minted in this in this blockchain. If you ask me, I, I, I am very happy in, in, on Tesos and I also use Ethereum and I don't look at it that way in the terms of the, in which blockchain it is. Right. But uh, I don't think that's the common assumption in general or what most collectors do. 
or act that way. So yeah, I think the blockchains plays a big role, at least right now. I don't know what how it will be in the future. I think that might change. I, I believe more and more, you know, these secondary blockchains will become more popular. And also these platforms will also do and, and the artists in these different blockchains will also, you know, get their time and, and their prices will will go higher. I really enjoy your newsletter. And um, one of the pieces that I personally thought was very interesting as a kind of point of departure to a, maybe a bigger discussion was the piece that was titled Four Tricks NFT Artists Can Learn from Tech Product Managers. Could you say a little bit more about, about that title? My background is more in the in the tech industry. I One day I was thinking, okay, if I, if I was trying to give some advice to, to one artist that was starting... And, you know, I was, you know, saying all these things that I, I learned in my previous work as a product manager. And then that piece, I thought about creating an article about that. Now, I understand what your point about comparing art to, to a product, right? That, that could be, that could be, many people will hate that, right? And also I mentioned in the article, I actually put a video from the, the band, I don't know, don't know if you have here, the Smashing Pumpkins, which the, the singer Actually, he he didn't like at all Billy, Billy Corgan when the the music industry managers and the music business tried to say that his music was a product, right? So, I understand that many artists wouldn't like that, wouldn't like their NFTs or their work to be compared to a product. But on the other hand, if you if you actually want to earn a living out out of NFTs and out of your art, I think you should also pay attention to these details, right? Try to find you know, ways to market your, your art, ways to, to get or, or build your audience, ways to ex- expose your, your work. And this could be very hard at the, at the beginning. Also, you should monitor, right, how, how, how things are going, if, you're, if your volume is going up and down. And this could be counterintuitive, right, for artists that are focusing on producing the art, focusing on the concept, concepts or the techniques or, or, you know, the story behind their art and execution. But I, I, you know, I was trying to give some tools out there. Do Do you think that we we're going to see the emergence of like double, triple, quadruple standards, and it is according to the category of the NFT art, or do you think that there are certain universal criteria that should be taken into account, regardless of whether a project is PFP generative or or one of one? Now, in general, I'm I'm very open open minded, right? That creators should have freedom, right? To create, you know, their art, if it's a PFP, if it's a generative artwork, if it's, you know, more traditional art that they convert to uh, NFTs. And so I'm, I'm, I have seen different collectors and critics, you know, ha- having very, you know, strong points, for example, against PFPs and, and, and other sort of, let's call it, uh, yeah, forms or styles. I'm, I'm very open-minded. I do believe that as we move up, as, as the NFT trends goes on, we are, it's been around for a couple of years, but in reality, very, very popular for one year only, and it will continue to grow. And I think that there will be, you know, more, more platforms, but also more specialization in terms of collectors and artists, right? So this will drive, I don't know if these are rules, but it's probably you know, certain guidelines uh, in each art form as people get more more specialized, both artists and collectors. In reality, I don't have 
any sort of restrictions or I, I try to avoid those and, and sort of be open-minded when somebody creates something. And of course, it depends on the intention of the of the artist or the creator, right? It's very different if you're trying to build a, a long-term project and you are going to use different sort of NFTs in that project. It's different if you want to create a fun PFP, a small project. And it's very different if your aim is to become a, a top-notch generative artist, right? That That's uh, very, very different. But it all depends on the intentions of the of the creators, right? So I tend to be very open about this, but I do see that in the future there will be more guidelines or more, let's say, rules around that people follow when collecting or when creating. I want to dive deeper into, um, I guess, into into the different narratives, I guess, in the generative art space. Because Carlo, I know you you follow the space very very quickly, and even though it's only been you know under a year i'm curious to hear what you think is the what kind of narratives um have changed just specifically in the in the generative art space so everybody already knows that for a pfp project to be successful they need to have a strong community strong community of members that uh, push the project and help it to you know get new collectors and they talk about what it what what, what are the goals of the project and I've seen that slowly, at least on the FX hash platform and on the Tesos blockchain, that's also happening there. And it's not so much, I mean, for artists to be, to constantly create drops that are minted out and for their pieces to you know, stay relevant and the floors to go up, are those that are able to produce generative artworks that they, they build a community with them. And it could be a story. It could be the storyline behind their drops. It could be, you know, their brand. And one example is Mark Knoll, who created the small schools. So this is a, it's a combination, right? It's sort of a PFP generative work. And but that, that the small schools, those small schools have a tremendous community. And, and that his collections are going up and up and up. And that's because he, through, through his brand, built this community of supporters, right? So that narrative, I think, will continue to, you know, more artists regarding of the, the style they have or the, you know, sort of the intention they have with their work will continue to do that. So they will focus on building communities. And there are different ways of doing it could be through events it could be through airdrops it could be through you know building a storyline around their artwork and you know execute on that so that's something that i expect to happen so you cannot only be an artist you might be super talented you might have great coding skills you might have your your art might be phenomenal but if you don't invest in your community and spend time there and and you know have a, you know a relation with your with your collectors, your popularity will get affected, right? So that's one narrative that I think during this year will continue to happen, and especially uh, generative artists will have to pay a little bit more attention to to their communities. So that's one thing. And another big let's call it discussion that is happening right now, it's the what's happening in FX Hash as it's an open platform and everybody can just go there and create and create something and drop it. We have seen more and more drops that use the layered images, right? So they are not 
really coded in a sense. They are using, you know, they import images from that they create maybe in Photoshop or whatever, and they create, you know, multiple like, big collection using images. So there are there is a big discussion at this moment, right? Some people are against that, and some people like that because they they say it's a, you know it's another it's another way of using your creativity. And some people say they argue that you know it's not like that complicated or it's low effort sometimes. But then others argue that okay, but actually takes maybe even more time to create hundreds of different images and combine them and in a way that that looks good. So I, I don't know if we can call that a narrative, but it's another, let's say, big topic that, that's happening in the space right now. You mean whether whether that is generative art or is not generative art, you mean? Yes, exactly. That some people oppose to that being called generative art and, and others believe it is, right? Let's dig into, I guess, the code. I mean, when you collect something do you actually get into the source code and look at the source code of you know how an artist is basically doing a generative art collection like do you, do you actually dig into the code um on sort of every collection that you that you buy well um i do it sometimes i i do want to know you know if it's using these layer images or not just to have a to understand if it's how is it built but i don't go through all the pieces i collect source code uh, for different reasons. One, it could be very time consuming, right? And secondly, it's usually not available, right? So it's not that easy to access it. On FXHash, you get sort of a minimized version of the code. But for example, I, I do like to to see these masterpieces. I don't know if you are familiar with Sankan, the garden monoliths. Uh, so that algorithm is quite fantastic. And I do take some time to, to check it. But yeah, it's very time consuming. I do it sometimes, not all the time. But I would like to, you know, one of the articles I wrote about how to, you know, evaluate or critic generative art, I mentioned the, the code aspect. And many people really like that part. So many was kind of eye-opening, right? Like, why aren't we actually looking at the code? Why aren't we just checking what's really happening? And, you know, I touch upon different topics that maybe were more like on using the right coding standards, you know, using the right nomenclature, the declaring variables, et cetera, that maybe were more on the surface. But the general general intention, intention is to, you know, as you said, maybe do more reviews or open the code and try to understand from the code what's really happening. And when something is very innovative, See not only in the surface of the of the of the work, but inside in the code. I, I believe, in my opinion, generative art should be a combination, right, of how the the final work looks, but also how it was coded, what kind of techniques were used. That's also, I think, very important when we talk about generative art. I mean, one of the theses I have is that how something looks as time goes on will become like less and less important. And how it's coded, which yeah, up till now isn't really that important. That'll become kind of more, more and more important because you know, in a sense, the the essence of generative art is, as in the difference between sort of a generative art and and non-generative art, is that 
the translation of you know of the artist's intent into the visual is intermediated through essentially an algorithm right and this probably goes back to your debate with you know whether layering sort of images is generative art or not i mean i personally feel like it's not in the sense that when all you're doing is sort of layering images there is a lot of work but the thing is your intent as an artist is almost directly translated through the algorithm into the visuals whereas something where essentially the algorithm can surprise even the artist as to what kind of things are produced um, because it's such a what would you call it an emergent like a, a kind of thing right the, the, the algorithm itself has a huge role to play not just the artist's intent i think my personal thesis is as time goes on that'll become much more looked at as to determine mm. like what is what is better versus you know what will or will not stand the the test of time mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's kind of my personal opinion yeah i i agree and i mean for that to happen i i think that it needs to be you know the the open source has been a, over time not only in generative art but in in you know in software development it has pros and cons right so i think the same happens in, in gen art so toxic for example uh, with a, a very popular artist in, in generative art for a long time he mentioned that in his case he has been a software open source software developer for i think 20 years but when it comes to his generative art creations he doesn't reveal the call the code because all the you know copy minting and People just taking the code and, 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 and trying to sell it or create pieces with it. So that's a, a, an interesting thing, right? I agree with you. As time passes, the code and how it was created will be even more important. But it's not that easy for artists to release the code because of all these problems with uh, you know getting your, your art copied. Another advantage of doing that, of releasing the code, is that it could help or foster collaboration between artists in a very nice way, right? Because you are collaborating on the code and maybe there could be works from multiple artists together working on something. So I agree that over time it will be more relevant, but I wonder how, how can this happen? How can we find a way to do it in the artists are not hurt in the long term, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's, that basically comes down to the collectors, right? In essence, because copy minting only works when the collector base as a whole is not really educated, right? <laughs> because <laughs> if the collector yeah. base is not, not educated, then copy minter can basically make a lot of money, right? Because because people mm-hmm. are not educated that this is like kind of a copy. But if the collector base is kind of more educated, then the, this can't really work. And so I think this makes sense when... When the collector base is more educated and realistically the only way a collector base can be more educated is when the prices of these things go up basically because Mm -hmm. if something is very low price you're not really going to do much due diligence you just kind of cover your eyes and buy but but if the prices of things are like very very high then the only people who are going to buy those things are people who sort of can do their sort of due diligence in a sense so it's it's one of these things where I think time will just basically take care of it in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, and good collectors will, you know, get rewarded in in the long term. Those collectors that 
have sort of a, a, a nice eye, but also take the time, as you said, to review the code and understand what's happening, they will also, actually, I think those uh, will become very popular and people will follow them as well, right? I think that's already happening. There are some popular collectors around, but then they could also build their own brands and they could be the ones, you know, driving the generative art movement forward. You guys said that, you know, obviously with the rising market, one can expect uh, more literacy, more serious engagement on the part of the collectors. But I would actually also venture to say that with that process, I think we'll move further away from criteria that used to be very dominant in the traditional art space in the sense of... You know, I have, um, maybe I'll, I'll paste it for, for Kyle later, but I recently read a piece uh, in a very serious art magazine called Art Agenda. And basically this, he's actually a music critic by profession, but, you know, he looks at art as well. And he was analyzing X copy in a very, what I would call a traditional art historical sense. And then I was wondering, yes, that's very good to see because you don't, rare, you quite rarely, I would say, in the traditional art media, you rarely see a serious art piece of art criticism that tries to dissect the aesthetics of NFT space. So this person, this, this critic did so. But I was thinking actually, well, does that actually even make sense? Because it seems like he's applying, um, you know, and, and of course, these criteria do, they are very valid for a certain type of art. But as we've discussed over the past hour, the we're seeing an emergent set of criteria for especially things like generative art, where as uh, Sabretooth implied, it's not so much the visual output that matters, it's the code, right? Because that's, that's the work, really. And... I think it's going to take some time to not just move away from that conception of the visual output as the ultimate expression of that art, but that, you know, that, of course, there's not just generative art. Generative art does have that kind of dichotomy between the code and the, and the visual output, but also I think, I think both sides on the, on the traditional art and the NFT art space, they're having trouble engaging with the other side in a productive way. And because the criteria are quite different, and I think it, it, it's, it pays to be aware of whatever criteria the other side are using, I, I really have my doubts about whether it's productive or even makes sense to apply one's criteria to the other side. I think the yeah. mutual understanding is beneficial, but I'm not sure that the way to get there is to apply one's understanding to, because it's 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 not so much. I mean, there are commonalities, but I think it's it's um, it's not quite the right approach. At the top of the show, you you alluded that you were going to release like something like in the next month or so. Can can you like mm. share what it is that that, that yeah. your kind of plans are? Well, as I mentioned, I, I come from the uh, software development background and i've been working on an app with a couple of friends which is is more for artists and collectors to engage with each other right more to build the community as i said earlier i think communities are are the key to to it doesn't matter what kind of art you create i think you need to establish and build your community so i'm working on an app that it's it's trying to facilitate that for for artists and for collectors right so what kind of things can you do with it? You can do giveaways, you can do airdrops, you can do raffles. And the idea is to, you know, keep iterating over it 
depending on what artists, but also collectors would like to see and, and would like to, to, you know, ways to interact between them. So it's not ready yet. We are going to release it hopefully towards the end of February or early March, and it will be on Tesos, on Tesos blockchain. Final question, uh, Carlo, who is your favorite artist? I think over the past two months, I've been very impressed with the work of San Khan, who created the Garden Monoliths, right? So I think it's the highest collection on FX hash by market cap, but he has been releasing works, generative work in other platforms as well on Tesos. It's very, very incredible. His his collection, he built an algorithm that produces, you know, very high diversity or very diverse amount of outputs. And it's sort of, you know, connected to nature. And I really, I think you should really see it if you haven't. It's amazing. But then there are others that I, I, I really like. So there is, for example, Toxie, who created, I mentioned him before, and, and he created the, the Frax collection. There are three series. I think number two, especially, I really like. And so I, I will mention those two. I think those two are, are, you know, creating great, great things. And they they are great developers. And they have been around in the generative art space for for long time now, especially Toxie. Uh, so those collections, I would say, are, are my favorite so far. Nice. Everyone, go go check those two out. Uh, Carlo, uh, thank you for joining us um, on this episode of Floyd's Rising. Thank you. Thanks for the invite and, and really enjoyed the chat. Looking forward for listening to other podcasts from you guys. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.